The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. I'm Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and share your thoughts and comments. So when we take intentional action in our lives, powerful and positive changes begin to happen. In fact, action is essential to addiction recovery and spiritual growth. Recovery literature says there's action and more action. And in scripture we read, faith without works is dead. And so unity pulls all this together in our fifth principle. So today we're going to talk about moving from a life that might feel like we're just spinning our wheels to a life that we love to live through what we'd call right or effective action, also known as divinely guided action. We'll begin by sharing our experiences of spinning our wheels prior to and in early recovery, and then move into the solution of learning to take effective action. After the break, we'll share exactly how we used divine guidance to take effective action and create a life we love to live. So Lonnie, have you ever had the experience of spinning your wheels in early recovery or prior to? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a household where the mantra was, do something, even if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing my dad say that over and over and over again. It was, well, you know, there'd be a, a point of indecision. There would, I can remember you know, trying to decide what I wanted to, quote, be when I grew up. What major should I major on in college? And, and this dilemma. And he said, well, just pick something, do something, even if it's wrong, you know, and, and over and over and over again, that is just etched in my mind. And so I was kind of drilled into the let's do some action. And, um, and so I did. And a lot of my life was in action. Uh, but I have to say it was probably unguided. Um, it was rather uh, ineffective. And, um, you know, I have lots of stories about that. But, you know, um, 
some people characterize people with addictions as lazy or, or no good, but that wasn't my experience. You know, my experience was do something even if it's wrong. So I'm always doing, 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 doing. Well, that didn't work. Let's do something different. You know, and so that that always had me in motion. And it, it kind of instilled in me a belief system that action will fix anything. <laughs> and in a way, it can. If it's uh, it's it's like uh, any tool, right? If it's aimed in the right direction, there it you works go. really well. Or, or or what we know the uh, Buddhists would call the skillful use of this or that, uh, implying that there's an unskillful use. Well, I I'm very familiar with an unskillful use of action, although I didn't grow up with that same uh, ethic that said uh, just do something that you described. Uh, I can definitely see a pattern of. Uh, what in hindsight looks like, you know, doing the same things over and over for, for whatever reason, the way that my mind is wired, um, you know, I, I almost seem to have a mantra that, uh, you know, if I find something that seems to work, I'll just keep doing that thing. You know, another way to state that is if one's good, two's better, right? And you can see how that would feed an addiction. So for me, the pattern uh, of um, spinning my wheels, if you will, prior to and somewhat in early recovery is of, of just doing the same thing over and over in my life. You know, we get in we get in ruts when we're in active addiction. And uh, I definitely was in that place, you know, spinning my wheels by Doing, keep doing the same thing. Hey, it got me through yesterday. Let me try it again today and really getting nowhere. You know, I can see that same thing with me doing the same thing over and over again. And it wasn't, it was, it was patterns of codependency for me. And, and the pattern was the same thing. Okay, go ask somebody else. Oh, okay. Well, they had this emotional reaction or that, that advice. Follow that, you know, and I mean, just in a short little two steps, I kept turning my life over to somebody else to run. You know, and, and, and then being confused when I'm at opposite, you know, one person tells me this and somebody else tells me that, and I don't know which ones to do because I have no internal guidance system. Yeah, I can see how that would lead to kind of spinning wheels, even though you're interacting with other people, which was, you know, I was not naturally oriented towards going to others for help on things. I was naturally oriented toward trying to um, deal with everything on my own, uh, but from from what you're sharing there, I can see how, yeah, you could definitely spin your wheels by going from person to person, trying this and trying that and and really not getting any results. Um, I also uh, had trouble breaking out of familiar patterns because they're familiar. You know, there's a certain comfort in a familiar pattern, uh, even if it, you know, in, in moments of clarity seems like it might not be the healthiest thing in the world to be doing. Again, like I said, you know, if it worked yesterday, it'll probably work today. And, um, you know, I'll deal with uh, what this problem uh, could be later. Or uh, as I like to say, uh, even when I was drinking, I knew exactly how much I was going to drink and when I was going to quit. I was going to drink one more and I was going to quit tomorrow. <laughs> stuck in that, stuck in that pattern. <laughs> But you had a goal. <laughs> yes, I was good at yeah. it too. And, and you know, our culture is one that supports this undisciplined, undirected, unguided action. You know, I mean, um, sports a sports um, company, Nike, had this just do it, you know, mantra that got picked up. And just do it, just do it, which kind of echoed what 
the mantra of my youth was. Um, and another, you know, a few years later, Larry the Cable Guy came out with this get her done. You yes, know? right. And so get her done, you know, quit thinking about it, quit pondering on it, quit playing around, get her done, you know. And so those don't make it easy to swim against the stream. Right. I think that that uh, just do it phrase for Nike, perhaps effective. I didn't think about this because we have trouble just doing it, right? We procrastinate. I'm certainly uh, adept at procrastinating. And um, the idea of, you know, get off your butt and do it or, or, or I'll get around to it, right? That silly joke where you take a round card and put T-U-I-T on it. Here's a round to it so that you can get around to it. Uh, I know that I was in that boat and that kind of inertia, I think, as you're pointing out, is just sort of the general uh, part of reality for a lot of people, I suppose, whether we're in any uh, identifiable kind of uh, addiction pattern or not, it can be really hard to um, break out of doing the same old things uh, and to do as Nike said or as Larry the Cable Guy said, uh, do it or get it done or or whatever. I, I was definitely a creature of habit and uh, procrastination was something I was really good at. You know, it's really interesting that um, from one perspective, uh, you had inertia in spinning your wheels kind of from a standstill and procrastination. Mm -hmm. And I had inertia as in I'm already in motion and spinning and continuing to be in motion. You know, it, it displays differently um, in each of our lives. And at the same result, we weren't getting anywhere. And yeah. for me, uh, that continued in the early part of my recovery. I got into... Uh, first, I got into counseling before I ever got clean and sober, and I was there about a year and a half or so, and I was an ardent student. I was going to research it. I was going to read everything. I bought every book that got mentioned. I was going to understand it. I was going to intellectualize it and pick it apart, which, of course, was one of my coping mechanisms, mm -hmm. and one of the ways that I avoided having a life, you know, and having feelings about this life. And so I did that, and to the point that I was told stop reading. <laughs> I wow. I was told to put the brakes on. Don't buy another book and stop reading. You know, I, and I was pretty compliant about doing what I was told. And so I did. And so then my emotions and ideas and belief systems and attitude all kind of came crashing into me. Yeah. But, um, you know, that, that was, I had to be told to stop spinning the wheels and just sit. Yeah, it sounds like if uh, if I can make a uh, take a chance on an analogy, if if my car was just sitting in the driveway, your car was driving around the block over and over again. <laughs> you were going, but going nowhere, and I was going nowhere also yeah. in a completely yeah. different way. As you shared, I was reminded of the uh, really, in a sense, the upside of inertia for me in early recovery is. I kept doing those same things, go to another meeting, talk to another person. And uh, those kind of uh, repeated habits that uh, seemingly I was very good at when it came to uh, alcohol and active addiction um, actually helped support me um, as I learned to, um, you know, discern what is the next right thing and, and uh, to take effective action, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. You know, for me, I'm a pretty slow learner when it comes to those things because I was busy avoiding feeling and avoiding that kind of learning, you know, the experiential learning. And so for me, it was it was 
to do what I was told. So when I got into recovery, I started doing what I was told, you know, my, between my therapist and my counselor, my sponsor and, and the guidance of the book and do this, do this, do this. So I continued that same pattern, but now I had a little more guidance, you know, uh, don't drink, go to another meeting. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I can do that. That was more guidance than I had before and, and more support than I had before. But um, I was doing, 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 doing just the same as I had been done doing prior to getting into recovery. And I was told that I was being a, a human doing instead of a human <laughs> being, I that I that. didn't know how to be. And upon reflection, what I understand was that I was just perpetuating the same patterns, only now I had a target. The target was recovery, and this was the list of activities that I had to accomplish in order to achieve recovery, so I thought. Well, honestly, that sounds like a step in the right direction. I mean, that, that's got to be healthier than what was going on before, but I, what I hear you saying is that it was almost just like a translation of the same habits of mind into a different direction, and I'm going to guess that it shifted from there uh, and went on into a... Uh, a stronger recovery pattern. I remember that lots of energy just went into keeping everything afloat, you know, keeping everything the way it was, even though at that time it didn't feel like that. And I don't think from the outside it looked like that, but looking back on it, I can see that the, um, you know, my goal was in, in, in a, a way that I was spinning my wheels is just, you know, putting energy into just keeping everything afloat. You know, we've got to make sure and go to work and do all the work things and then uh, come home and I got to do the home things. And, you know, in between all of that, a, a lot of drinking and a lot of energy and just let's just keep it the way that it is. So that kind of um, spinning of the wheels to stay in place, I suppose. Stay afloat. Yeah. Yeah, well, for me, what this what happened with this activity, all of this activity, I did not have um, the internal support that I needed. I didn't have the internal discipline. I could do all day long if somebody else told me what to do, but left to my own devices, I didn't have the guidance or the internal uh, support to do that. And I found myself at about three years in stuck, and I was... I was in one of those turning points, another bottom. This one was an emotional, spiritual bottom. And what happened was that I had been for three years now doing, doing, doing everything on the list. They told me to do this, 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 going to meetings and reading the books and leading the meetings and sponsoring people, you know, that had just a few, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit in time. And I was doing all of this stuff. And for some reason, it wasn't working. I wasn't feeling any better. I wasn't getting any better. I didn't have the obsessive compulsive thought pattern any longer, but it was obsessive compulsive about, am I doing okay? Am I measuring up? You know, Mm. now, now maybe I'll be better. Now maybe I'll, I was scorekeeping and, and worse than that, I was kind of like making a deal with God, if you will, Mm -hmm. as in, Hey, I've done my part. How, how come you haven't fixed me yet? How come I'm not any better? You know, that's, it was it was a real it wasn't just a rude awakening that was really where my recovery started was when i had to learn to quit doing the scorekeeping and just do what's next for me but i wasn't checking in with my internal systems to understand is this working for me or not you know i'm doing things cuz i'm told to and sometimes out of resentment and sometimes out of fear um, right. how how does that work for you 
So it sounds like there's almost a turning point there, a pivot point toward um, the actual solution to this Act, quandary yeah. of spinning our wheels. So let's do that now. So now that we know about the challenge of uh, spinning our wheels and seemingly going nowhere, uh, what is a way that we could move out of that and move into a life that we love to live using effective action instead of wheel spinning? Well, in unity, and we've already alluded to this, um, we affirm the presence of the divine within each of us as the, the, the entity that empowers us in all these different important ways. And one of these ways is the ability to discern what we call the next right thing or what we're today calling right or effective action. Right. In fact, uh, taking action is the focus of one of unity's five basic principles. And referring to the first four principles, principle five states, it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. This means, of course, we must take action. And so it's taking effective action or divinely guided action that can move us from spinning our wheels and going nowhere to a life that we love to live. And that's what we want to focus on today. So what exactly is effective or divinely guided action? Hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I can answer that, but I can share how I came to be able to uh, discern that in a way. Uh, and the first thing that comes to mind is also a core unity principle. And you know, unity is a very important part of my recovery path. Uh, and that is our meditation practice or what we call turning within. Um, that is one of the very first things that I learned, one of the first concepts that was really life-changing to me um, as we shared this concept that uh, the presence of the divine uh, inherently within each and every person and that we could um, commune with in a sense or experience that presence in doing what we uh, would call meditation or turning within so that practice became uh, a means by which I could um, begin to uh, do much better in figuring out, or I shouldn't say figuring out, uh, in doing the next right thing, you know, which, which took time, over time. It's not like all of a sudden I learned about meditation and then everything I did was the next right thing. Uh, I learned about meditation and began to integrate that, and slowly my actions became more often than prior um, a positive or skillful use of action. I was, again, not a very quick learner on this. And, and so when I hit that bottom that I was talking about earlier, um, because my recovery at that point seemed to come from the outside in, I was taking all these suggestions from the outside. Um, I was given a suggestion and it's not it's not unity literature and it is not, um, it is not recovery uh, conference approved literature, but I was given a suggestion to read a book. And the book was The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. And, and I was told to pay attention to the main character and what that character does. And it's been a number of years now, and so I don't remember all the details, but what caught my attention was that all the so-called little tiny coincidences that were brought about in the journey that this, this this character took, he paid attention to. And he goes, hmm, I wonder what's in that for me. 
you know, uh, uh, an eye contact that lasted a moment longer than what would be typically normal. You know, somebody crossing his path that he had thought about two days prior, that type of thing. And so I started paying attention to those things in my life and started asking myself those questions. So I wasn't turning within in a meditative sort of way, but in a pondering sort of way. Yeah, uh, in a in a being observant is what I'm hearing. You no, know, paying attention to what is happening around you, and almost like being open to meaning and or guidance. That that's what I'm mm-hmm. I'm hearing you say. It it sounds like um, this this from the scripture, um, the you know prophet Elijah described in the book of Kings. That wonderful phrase, that still small voice. You know, that still small voice of God that I can so easily drown out uh, with my uh, noisy mind um, and and learning to hear that. And it sounds like um, what you're saying is that you were kind of finding that just by uh, being observant in the world around you, not necessarily a, a formal meditation practice, just by opening your awareness in a different way. And I had a similar experience, and you know, many of us, uh, or I've, I have heard many times in meetings, that idea that you know we hear from quote from God, so to speak, um, through the mouth of a whole bunch of different people. So I might be uh, in a recovery community gathering, maybe a meeting, maybe the meeting after the meeting at Denny's or whatever, um, and someone might say something that all of a sudden is like exactly what I needed in that moment. And it, it feels like, you know, that's the, that's the divine that underpins all of uh, reality, all of creation, um, kind of opening a door. And I was observant enough to see it. And those kind of things also help, you know, help me grow and guide my ability to learn to do the right thing and to take uh, divinely or right action, divinely guided. So as you're sharing, I'm reminded of what my next step on the journey was. And that was, I, I know time after time I, I would say, well, I pray, but I don't get any answers. I wasn't able to see the answers. And then it occurred to me, or somebody told me, and I'm not sure which, that look at the Old Testament. God never spoke directly to the people, <laughs> you know, through the words of the prophets. God always spoke to a prophet, a chosen one of some kind, mm-hmm. who then pass the message to the people. And so my job is to find out who are the prophets in my life? Who are the people through whom I can hear this voice of God, this this guidance, this direction? That started turning me more toward the possibility that there is a divine message from any person that crosses my path. Yeah, I love that. Um, we will often focus on uh, what we call in shorthand guidance, you know, divinely guided action or guidance as uh, something that comes from within. But really, it can come from anywhere if, like you're describing, we are uh, paying attention, you know, if we're open to it. In fact, I, I found that just in general, the clarity uh, that comes from being sober, you know, increases over time. The clarity simply helped me make better decisions, you know, period, just based on that. Um, that was another way that um, I feel like I could, you know, be observant, pay attention, be open to the guidance of spirit, and then just have it, you know, seemingly magically 
showing up here or there. Maybe an idea popped in my head. Maybe somebody said something. Maybe I purposely took some time apart and went into a time of meditation or, you know, any or all of the above. Um, simply the longer I was sober, the more clear I was, the more readily I could see it in whatever way it was showing up. You know, you used the phrase, idea popped into your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I struggled with this thing called a racing mind, you know, this monkey mind, this chatter, this constant ide- ideation that my brain would do. And then the, the consistent and constant story making that went behind it. And so I couldn't trust the ideas that popped into my mind. And so then approximately the same time frame that I'm talking about, I was doing reality checks, but I was learning to test it a little bit with with my uh, myself, I guess, is I'd, I'd call my sponsor and I'd say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what happened. What do you think? <laughs> you know, so I was still seeking guidance through somebody else, but I had uh, learned to check check out what am I feeling about this? And what do I think about this? Does this is this consistent with my with my belief system or with my um, ideas about how how the world operates? And and so, you know, I was prevented from doing many things that popped into my mind that at that point in time would not have been what I call divinely guided. For yeah, example, sound, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, for example, the the first thing that happened when I got into recovery was I wanted to make amends to the world. You know, well, that's not a good idea, and they hold that off till the ninth step. And there's a reason for that. Exactly. <laughs> and there's a reason that uh, we are advised to uh, get a sponsor and to work the steps with that sponsor because the sponsor knows things like that that we don't know. And that reminds me of, um, and again, this is a way that um, just through many things shifting after getting into recovery, um, I experience a sort of growth of what I'll just call insight uh, gain from being part of the community, right? Listening to what other people were saying, or in your, in your example, asking a specific other person, asking my sponsor, you know, here's what's going on. What do you think of this? And I'll, I'm often reminded of the power of the community uh, in recovery, and and that for me was a um, a big shift. And so even though, um, especially early on. You know, it's easy to get frustrated with this individual or that individual or that person. Um, seems like they're always saying the same thing or whatever. Um, I learned that if I just kept uh, showing up, that uh, I would get what I needed one way or the other. And so that insight, uh, that ability to glean insight, if you will, uh, that I got from just being part of the community was super helpful. I mean, that's one way that um, divine guidance showed up in my life and helped me choose better actions. So I think for me, there's been a number of ways that this has showed up. And part of it has been, as you said, to pay attention, uh, to seek guidance in the community and to, for me, look for the, um, the coincidences when they say God is, uh, you know, present in the coincidence. So we're going to have to hold that thought because it's time to wrap up for a short break. And when we come back, we'll open the phone lines for callers and we'll continue our conversation. The number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us.
Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Look who's making a difference in the world. It's the New Thought Walden Award honorees. Profiled in Unity Magazine, the September-October edition, Unity has joined with its New Thought partners to honor 27 leaders serving in the areas of spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. These are people you need to know about. Pick up Unity Magazine or go online to waldenawards.com. Grief can bring you down, but it doesn't have to take over your life. From Grieving to Believing is a transformational weekend taking place November 16th to the 18th at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. Join grief expert David Kessler, spiritual medium Maureen Hancock, and Paul Denniston, the creator of Grief Yoga, in the beautiful Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. This unique event will take you into deep soul healing, addressing body, mind, and spirit. Reserve your space today at kripalu.org. Search Grieving to Believing. Expand your mind and open yourself up to new ideas with Janet Connor and the Soul Directed Life. Every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Janet talks with some of the leading voices in the world of mind, body, and spirit. Each week, you'll hear fascinating stories, practical information, and ideas to inspire you to follow your soul's calling. Janet is right there with you on the journey. Listen live or on demand here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. 
We're going to resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that we're opening the lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So just prior to the break, we were discussing this concept of divinely guided intentional action and how spinning our wheels just left us feeling like we're going nowhere, you know, feeling empty and unfulfilled and perhaps like, is that all there is? And so we, we want to talk now about, you know, doing something different. So Dan, now that we know that this is a challenge to do more than just spin our wheels and that the solution is this intentional, rightly divinely guided action, how can this help us create the life we love to live? Well, First, I want to share what, you know, when I hear that phrase or think about that, the life that I love to live, I truly am living a life that I love to live. I love everything I do. And if I don't love it, I don't do it. And that is a uh, overriding uh, truth and experience in my life. And so I have, you know, been able to, as I've heard many people say, uh, through the grace of God in AA, you know, move from a, a state of active addiction and just keeping things alive and, and spinning my wheels to genuinely a life that I love to do, where um, everything kind of on my list, you know, everything I choose to spend energy on is something I've purposely picked because I actually love doing it. Now, that doesn't mean that every moment of every day I feel that way, but I know now that if I don't feel that way, the problem is not the world, it's not the job, it's not the family, it's not the friend, that the problem is internal to me, and I can come back in alignment um, with the divine in me, and once again, love everything I do, and if I don't love it, I don't do it. So one simple way that uh, I found I was able to uh, develop what we're calling today divinely guided action or, or right action is to do specific things as were suggested, kind of like we were talking about before. Simplest example ever, going to meetings. You know, going to a meeting for me is a specific action that allowed me to interact with the community. And we already talked before the break about all of the wonderful things that can come from being part of the community. And so my first answer is to move from spinning my wheels to the life I love is to take some uh, suggested actions, you know, from people who are further down the path than me, from people whom I trusted because they looked happy, healthy, sober, and uh, they seemed to really enjoy my company and I enjoyed theirs. And so when they would say things like, you know, go to meetings, call people, et cetera, I would do those things. So by taking the action that was uh, suggested by others who were on the path I wanted to be on uh, was one simple thing that I could do to uh, move away from, you know, asking, is this all there is to a life that I love to live? You know, for me, um, I had to do the external action that you're talking about, but I had to pair it with an internal process. And and the one that I'm thinking about is they told me to go to meetings, but then they said, pay attention. And And the way that I had to pay attention was try to find something that each person shares that I can use, that I can find useful, that I can that I can take in and apply to my life and to look for the good, because if the good is present, then God is present. And so that internal process, I had to do the external process 
to get to the place, now whether it's a meeting, whether it's church, it doesn't really matter what gathering spot, but to this other venue where I could be exposed to some other ideas and input. Yeah, that's reminding me of some really wise advice that I I heard myself, but then I heard being given and even gave it uh, when I was further into recovery. So, you know, I heard it from people chairing meetings. And then when I was chairing meetings, I could share it, especially because at my home group, um, we would get um, people coming in a group, you know, from a nearby um recovery facility or rehab, you know, like a four week inpatient thing. And the advice that I heard and that I heard given that had been so helpful to me that I feel like is underneath what you're saying is to listen and identify, find something to identify with in what is being said. Yes, the person you're listening to might seem like they could have nothing at all to do with you. They might be the other gender. They might be a very different age. They might have a very different education level or be in a completely different uh, line of work or what have you. doesn't matter. Listen for something to identify with. Don't compare. You know, I had a sponsor tell me, as soon as we start comparing, we already lost. Just by doing that, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and failure. Don't compare. Instead, listen to identify with something that you're hearing. I found that just such a powerful thing. It is a way of doing what you just shared, looking for the good, which is looking for the God, looking for God in everything. Which, of course, is then... If we are, if we have this divine spark within us, everybody else does as well. Yes. And we're connecting with that divinity. Um, and you know, they talk about the language of the heart in these in these meetings. They talk about sometimes the the, the English isn't very good. Sometimes the language is convoluted. But yet we get it. And I believe it's that that spark of the divinity within us that connects. I get you. I understand you. I understand your emotions. I understand your thoughts. I understand, you know, where you're going with this. And and that was immensely helpful to me in this sense of feeling a part of and feeling like I belonged. You know, I I, I have experienced that and I heard such a powerful expression of that. And, and this really blew my mind when I first heard it. Uh, somebody, a friend went to a meeting in a foreign country where they didn't speak the language at all. Uh, and yet their experience of that meeting, they felt uplifted, they felt connected after it, just like uh, would happen with a meeting in the U.S., even though they didn't understand a word of what anyone was saying. They had that connection, that inherent divine connection. And I think for those of us in recovery, you know, we have a particularly poignant variety of that connection, having shared uh, many of the same uh, difficult experiences um, to just, you know, come out of a meeting where you didn't literally, you literally didn't understand any word yet, feel that connection. I think that says something really powerful about the presence of God in all things and about the, um, you know, about the recovery community and the connections between us in, in the community. Well, and I, I was thinking also that, you know, the fifth principle is about how we show up in the world. And depending on where we are in our recovery process and what have you, we can show up in different ways tied to our consciousness levels. But how we show up in general uh, as a group in a meeting is open and willing and receptive 
and willing to share. I mean, and, and generous. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I think are good slash God qualities that show up for a reason when we are uh, gathered as a community like that. And I think that's what we, we pick up on. I think that's what the feeling is, the connection. Yes, I, I, I can remember, you know, going to meetings I didn't want to be at, uh, being crabby, grumpy, not really want to be there, don't want to talk to anyone, annoyed about everything. And then to come out of that meeting an hour later, just all of that melted away uh, against my will, seemingly, you know, almost mad, <laughs> almost uh, irritated that I'm not irritated anymore uh, because of that that very community and that connection. You know, another thing that comes to mind um, when we're talking about specifically, you know, exactly how uh, did I move from feeling stuck or feeling like I'm spinning my wheels? How did I move to this life that I love so much um, through this, uh, what we're calling divinely guided action? And one, you know, again, is I shared something like this before about going to meetings, but working the steps. It's so simple. It's right, you know, it's right, in, literally right in front of my face. Everyone, it seems like, everyone in the uh, my home group stressing, you know, get a sponsor, work the steps. It's like, okay, when I've heard that a hundred times, I get the impression that maybe I should get a sponsor and work the steps. And, you know, I had a challenge early on of, um, you know, wanting to, I was looking for that, for that grand answer, you know, that, that, uh, that message that descends from heaven on a golden tablet or something like that. <laughs> and, you know, sort of looking like, you know, I wish all you people would get out of my way so I could find out who I'm called to serve, you know, in italics and uppercase <laughs> letters, uh, only to realize uh, the people that you're asking to get out of the way so you can find though that's who you're supposed to serve. They're right in front of your face. And so things like working the steps right in front of my face, that doing those things uh, helped me probably more than any one thing to um, begin to get in touch with divine guidance. You know, I'm guided to work the steps and then I'm guided to learn everything I learned from working the steps and it just builds and builds and builds. You know, as a, as an adjunct to that, um, there's a spiritual principle under each of the 12 steps. Just like in unity, there are many, many spiritual principles that we talk about. And one of the things that helped me was to learn how to apply these concepts, these spiritual ideas, these principles to my life, what I was doing. And one of the first ones that helped me immensely was to sort out, uh, it's the 12th tradition, talks about principles before personalities. Well, mm -hmm. what does that mean? You know, well, if it's Mary, I'm going to do this, but if it's Joe, I'm going to do that. Well, that's personality-based. And so when faced with a decision, how can I take the personalities out of it? Well, if it was my worst enemy, if it was my best friend, then that, you know, whatever the, when the answer is consistent, that is the right answer. So again, my recovery process was from the outside in. You know, I had to learn these things intellectual intellectually and then try to apply them to scenarios in my life for me to integrate them for me to go oh oh that's what they're talking about <laughs> that's what works and there were several of those the next right thing is another one of those because the next right thing was too too ambiguous for me it was it felt like the right thing did that mean it was the right thing or if so-and-so approved of it did that mean it was the right thing you know as I was learning to turn to this internal guidance system um, and to and to feel my way through these and, and to have confidence in it, I had to rely on these outside uh, guideposts. Yeah, I did too. And I'm realizing now or reconnecting that um, even before 
I had a solid concept of divine guidance. Or uh, let me say when my concept was limited to maybe only what came to me, you know, when I was walking in the woods or a time of meditation, I did not see things like uh, going to meetings, working the steps as divinely guided action. I just saw those as, well, that's what everyone's doing. That's what everyone says to do. And, you know, the people that I that I like to listen to, that I, you know, feeling good about or connected to the people that I like, um, that I'm meeting, they did all these things. Well, I guess I'll do them too. You know, another one of those is just talking to others, you know, that we talk about the power of the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting. That just means, you know, standing around, chewing the fat with whoever's there, uh, before it starts, uh, after it's done, maybe go to get, cup of coffee or whatever. You don't have to. I mean, you can have a 10-minute meeting after the meeting in the parking lot. Um, talking to others in recovery. Again, a specific action. Don't get in the car and just leave. Just stand here and see what happens. Uh, was another, I now understand, divinely guided action that I thought was, well, this is just what everyone's doing. You know, if you had asked me, is this a divinely guided? No, it's not. It's just what everyone's doing. Well, guess what? It was a divinely guided action. Uh, those those simple and straightforward things, those things that everyone says to do, that you know, just do them. That is divinely guided. I know that now. I I didn't realize that then. You know, I spent a lot of time waiting to feel inspired, you know, and waiting to to believe that I had the right answer. You know, that's as a one on the Enneagram. I'm all about the right answer, mm. and that um, that that really did not serve me well. Because I, I needed to get into the, the pieces that you're talking about, you know, understanding that divine guidance can come uh, anywhere in my life and, and through just about any channel in my life. And so I, I went from learning uh, intellectually and then experiment, experientially, this is a principle, how do I apply it in my life? This is a principle, how do I apply it in my life? To reflecting on more of a being type nature. How does this feel? Um, can I feel it, which I, I do today, when somebody says something that hits me as a truth, it's almost like I get thumped in the chest. Mm. You know, it's it's a very um, um, embodiment of, of oh, that, that hit, that landed. And, and so... Learning to seek guidance from within was really kind of a, a journey for me. I remember going to 11-step meetings, sitting in silence for 15 minutes and wondering, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to talk about? What am I doing here? You know, uh, I always felt better after the meeting, but it was after everybody had talked. And so it's been a real challenge for me to learn this, this process of turning within. It's very subtle, I find, because I also uh, had that aspect that you're sharing of um, – you know, sort of without realizing it, thinking that I was going to have some big mountaintop uh, experience with the clouds parting and and the sun shining and all that. But in reality, um, the the divine guidance that I learned to uh, identify and live by uh, came in all the smallest things. You know, our uh, unity minister and author Robert Brummett who I know was a teacher of both of ours in seminary, um, shared something that always stuck with me about uh, doing the mundane, right? Uh, he described at one point uh, that he realized in his 
meditation practice and his spiritual growth practice that uh, what he needed to be doing was just doing the mundane, the plain, the boring, the stuff everyone else does, the unexciting. Uh, and for him, that was a real turning point. And I found the same dynamic in my own life. You know, there were not many golden tablets and parting clouds and mountaintop experiences. What I had was, um, you know, moment to moment, something someone said, showing up at a meeting, working the steps, et cetera, um, and finding, realizing that God is in all of those things and that there is divine guidance in all of those things uh, for me. And, and that was a strange and wonderful thing to experience. It was both disappointing and uh, wonderful at the same time. It's like, oh, that's it? It's just this? Oh, my God, this is awesome. <laughs> that was kind of my experience with it. It was so much better than what I was looking for that my imagination had created. Uh, that you know, There was no comparison. It was just blew my mind, the, the difference. You know, I didn't get it when my sponsor told me, just do the dishes. And I think as I hear you describe this, that's kind of the same angle she was coming from. That's the next right thing. If you're standing in front of your sink and it's full of dishes, do the dishes. You know, and and so I, I started doing those kind of things. Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, well, what's next? Oh, here I am and this is what's in front of me. You know, do what's in front of me. And, and that kind of led into um, some service opportunities. I'd get a phone call and somebody would say, hey, I need a ride. Oh, okay. So, and then that would happen into a chance conversation. And then I would have this moment of inspiration or connection or um, uh, idea or uh, awareness. Any of those things would come to me and I go, oh, all because I answered the phone, you know? And, and so I started looking in places like that for this inspiration. And, um, you know, she also told me that meditation is anything where you lose track of time. She said, maybe you're a gardener, and if you lose track of time when you get your hands in the dirt, that can be a meditative experience for you. Mm. Uh, the same thing with, with um, you know, other, other types of activities, and, and that stuck with me. So, and for, what, for me, one of those times, one of those uh, events is music. If I put on a particular type of, of music, I can get lost in it. I lose track of time, and I choose music that is uplifting and spiritual in nature because that's what I want to feed my brain. Yeah, I like that. I had not heard that, and I really like that definition. Anything that where I lose track of time, I can consider a meditation. That does make a lot of sense um, because, uh, in a way, I'm if I'm losing track of time, then I am... Um, you know, kind of out of linear way of interacting with the world and in a more of a being way of interacting. And that, yeah, that definitely sounds like meditation. One thing that, uh, that I did related to um, that, you know, actual meditation or, or prayer time, we know in unity, the concepts of prayer and meditation are very uh, tightly connected and have a lot of overlap. So I'll just call it time, uh, prayer time, you know, contemplative prayer, silent prayer, not the talking kind of prayer, but the being, the, uh, you know, practicing the presence of God kind of prayer. That was something Now it's different than the other things I was sharing, because the other things I was sharing were all evolved with other people, you know, with the community, showing up at a meeting, working the steps, it's calling someone, et cetera. But also, 
Um, there are some uh, actions that I took or some ways that I learned to discern what's the next right thing to get better at taking divinely guided action. And one of them is prayer time, you know, straight up, just simple, quiet, uh, sit down, maybe set a timer, maybe not, um, you know, focus perhaps on the motion of my breath, you know, something internal, just very simple. And then just observe like what is happening in my mind, just sort of pay attention to that. That's another way that um, I think I was able to over time um, become more adept at knowing what's the next right thing to do or, or following what we're calling divine guidance. You know, I'm reminded that one of my favorite tools is the heart math quick coherence process, which starts with the same thing you mentioned there, paying attention to your breath, you know, focusing on your heart and paying attention to your breath. And I was able with that, with that technique to, to achieve a level of quietness of mind and calmness of spirit that I had not been able to with other prayer and meditation techniques. And, and that was extremely helpful to me. And just so our listeners know the heart math quick coherence, it was to uh, the step, first step is to focus on your heart and imagine that you're breathing in and out through your heart. And then to follow that with your breath at about a count of five, five in and five out. And then the second piece of this, and it's very important, is to focus on a feeling, a feeling of appreciation or love, and to to bring that to mind while you're still continuing to breathe in the manner that I just described. Between those those two steps, I was able to, I find that very centering, very anchoring, calming, and it clears the negative energy when I have uh, an upset, whether I'm angry or irritated or uh, confused or what have you, it has a way of clearing the energy that confuses the atmosphere so that I don't feel like I get guidance. And when I do that, I feel like I have guidance after that. I, I know how to what's next. I know what I need to do. I get answers I wouldn't have gotten any other way. Yeah, that sounds like a wonderful um, and clear uh, steps that you can take in order to connect. I, I know for me, um, some of the principles, some of the ways that I learned to uh, do the next right thing, follow divine guidance are kind of abstract. And one that I always loved is suit up and show up, you know, this, this, this principle that says participate, you know, go, you can't just think about this. Uh, I heard someone say early in one of the early meetings, I'm sure this has been said forever, but that we learn, we learn the recovery way of life through osmosis. Right. From sitting our butt on the chair and it just sort of seeps into us. And of course, that's funny. And I loved it. Uh, and it, you know, it kind of woke me up. And I've found that to be true. More abstract things like suit up and show up. Don't quit before the miracle. You know, these are phrases we use, but there are deep truths underneath them that can help guide my actions. And so one of the things that helps me also is to ask myself, how is this living the truth I know? How is this showing up in a way that I need to show up? Because I know that I get guidance if I can get myself out of the way and I can learn to take more effective action. 
Well, let's do that now and let's move into the action segment of our show here. Um, As we've been focusing on today, Unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. Uh, We know that means that we have to take action, of course, to grow and recover. So here's something specific you can do this week to move from that place of stuck or spinning wheels to a life that you love to live through divinely guided action. So we use Unity's denial and affirmation process. And so the denial is a statement of power that denies any power to the experience of feeling stuck or ineffective. And we're not saying that the circumstances are not happening, but rather that this experience does not have to define or control you. You can say something like, feeling stuck is not the truth of who I am. And repeat it a few times in your head or even aloud and say it with conviction. Feeling stuck is not the truth of who I am. And we follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So we could say, I am divinely guided to the life I love to live. And then take a few quiet moments, just relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle or try to make anything happen. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and then move on with your day. Feeling stuck is not the truth of who I am. I am divinely guided to a life that I love. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that out of all of this, you found something to help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. So thank you to listeners and callers, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights shared in our discussion today. Well, I know that I learned a lot, and I've had a good time remembering all of these things as we shared how you and I each moved from kind of getting nowhere to a life that we love to live. And listeners, if you would like to, you can connect with us again on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.